Welcome to National Parks Traveler, where we explore the national parks and the issues that involve them. Hi, this is Kurt Rappencheck, your host at National Parks Traveler. Have you ever turned to the national park system to enjoy a new hobby? This past week on The Traveler, we looked at great parks for sea kayaking. There also was good news about the rescue of four climbers stranded high on Mount Rainier by high winds and poor weather. And word came that Trail Ridge Road in Rocky Mountain National Park has opened for the season. You can find those and other stories about the parks at nationalparkstraveler.org. In this week's show, we discuss a new film that uses national parks as a backdrop for a story about finding rejuvenation in the outdoors. It's an interesting endeavor that touches on the issues of being overwhelmed by work and life, relationships, as well as the lack of cultural diversity in the national park system. And with summer officially arriving on June 21st, we also offer some tips for staying safe on your national park vacation this summer. We also take a look at an incredible gateway town on the doorstep of Rocky Mountain National Park. What do national parks mean to you? Why do you visit them? Or do you ignore them? Since 2016, the centennial of the National Park Service, the national parks have been in the forefront of American tourism. But that fame has not been without criticism. We've heard concerns over a lack of diversity in the national park system and about crowds that lessen the experience. At the same time, we've been awed by the sheer beauty of places such as Yellowstone, Yosemite, Acadia, and Zion. Joining us today is Tom Huang, a Chinese-American filmmaker who has found great inspiration in the national parks and wants to share that inspiration with audiences. The vehicle he uses is Find Me, a new film about an emotionally damaged accountant who comes out of his shell to search for a co-worker friend who has left clues on her whereabouts in national parks across the West. The film features places in parks such as Zion, Death Valley, and Yosemite. Welcome, Tom. Hey, how you doing? I appreciate you breaking out some time to join us today. One thing I noticed is minorities play a key role in your film. Obviously, you play the lead character, Joe, a Chinese-American, and we see some African-Americans and other ethnicities in the film. Was that intentional in light of the concerns that parks were not being embraced by minorities? Yeah, uh, to a certain extent. I mean, uh, I'm an independent filmmaker, um, and the the films that I make... um, I do make a point to uh, kind of show uh, a part of America or uh, that I see, which is a very diverse America. I live in Los Angeles, and uh, um, you know Hollywood has its issues sometimes, uh, many times, of showing America as uh, being more than just um, a white America. Um, so I just made it a little bit of my goal whenever I make my own films uh, to make a diverse cast as possible. Um, to show that, you know, that there are just Americans out there who just happen to be Chinese or have to be Latino or whatever and go through are the same kind of people and characters that, 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 that um, you see in, in other roles on, on mainstream uh, television and, and, and movies. And in this case, too, um, with National Parks, I do touch uh, a little bit about, you know, how uh, minorities in America um, feel about National Parks you know, depending on on what they are, and one of the characters who happens to be African American in the film, um, I, I did have her talk about how you know she's an African American who works at a you know who, who works in an area near Death Valley, and she notices that um, a lot of people that she sees are actually more foreigners than Americans, and especially 
uh, Americans that you know, like from her neighborhood, would would never have would never have gone. And and she just feels um, bummed that uh, there that uh, more people from her neighborhood can see something like Death Valley and experience it because it's uh, affected her and, and, and helped her so much, inspired her so much. Um, so yeah, it's definitely um, a subject that I wanted to uh, touch upon. Um, not too heavy handedly because I really still want, just want to tell the story and also, you know, just talk, uh, show more uh, about what the national parks are about. Uh, but it's definitely a subject that um, I wanted to like, just kind of, you know, highlight a little bit and uh, start some discussion about after people have seen the film. In your own experience, is that, is that pretty um, pretty accurate that we, we do need to um, make a greater effort, if you will, to to bring in more more diverse um, visitors into the park? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, National Geographic um, a few years ago did a. a um, a survey and um, found that you know it's just a very small percentage of of people who attend national parks or either you know African American or Latino or, or Asian American and I think you know there are a lot of different reasons why uh, people think this is an issue um, depending on you know a lot of it uh, some of it's cultural and some of it is uh, socioeconomic of course sure. um, where you know. I think uh, the other reason I made the film is that I wanted to show people that it's very easy to be able to just go to a national. I want to show people that, that it can be very easy to go to a national park and just go see something amazing. You know, you don't have to ride a mountain bike in the middle of the desert and, and fall into a canyon and have to cut your arm off with a pen <laughs> or, you know, climb, climb El Capitan with no, with no ropes or anything. You know, you just need to just drive someplace, drive there and just park and get out and you'll see some amazing things. Um, and I think that people, you know, a lot of people talk about wanting to go see national parks. I know I have plenty of friends that, that, that say, oh, I love your pictures. I love seeing what you're doing with your movies, and I always want to go. Um, but there's always some sort of mental or physical obstacle that they think is there. Um, and I think that for some um, cultures and some social economic areas, it's like, you know, it's just not on their agenda. And, and, and it's, you know, they think they have to buy a bunch of gear or, you know, that it's a big deal to get out there. And, and, and um, I hope to show people that it's, you know, it's easier than they think. What's your connection with the parks? Does it uh, predate the, the film? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I actually did not be able to travel to a lot of national parks until um, after college. Um, I think that my parents, my particular, my parents, you know, they enjoyed going to Las Vegas and Reno more than maybe <laughs> national park. Um, and so, you know, uh, as a child, I didn't spend a whole lot of time, although, you know, we'd always, you know, we do things like do the natural thing, like go to the Grand Canyon, get out, see the Grand Canyon, get back in the car and drive off or whatever. Um, but never, you know, spent a lot of time actually staying in the park and exploring it. It wasn't until, um, I, uh, married my wife who was really interested in the outdoors, um, and started a blog, um, about how to, how to show families where they could take their kids to the outdoors, Mm -hmm. um, that we really started to do more researching and, and looking into, um, places to go that, you know, we actually just went to national parks, uh, just for, to explore them and, and, and for her benefit to, for her blog. But also I think more importantly, we did some research into like what was there at each park. And that, that's how you discover that there's all these things you could do and see um, at, at the park. And they don't necessarily involve walking around a bunch of crowds. You know, it's a place you can go and kind of just be with your family and, and take them on a little adventure. 
and see some amazing things and really feel um, like you're alone with nature. And, and, and I think it really helps you feel connected to um, what you're seeing. You also highlight in the film the stress of work and relationships that many in today's society struggle with. Are, are parks an antidote to that? I believe so. You know, I think that, <clears throat> I think especially for people who yearn to see the outdoors and, and who, and um, who, you know, like watching all the Discovery Show channels or whatever, and but just don't do it. Um, I think that's that's like the people that uh, I hope to speak to um, because you know it, it might not be for everyone, but I really do believe that like you know people have uh, many people have a sense of adventure they want to um, they they want to quench, and you know they watch something like Free Solo or talk you know see things about people climbing Mount Everest, and then they just think that's what they have to do to do it. And, you know, people get caught up in work and, and life, you know, understandably. And in the case of the character in my film, you know, he um, has this kind of yearning to to go out and see things and, and, and experience these things, but just gets caught up in life. And, uh, you know, he has to uh, pay for a family and, and, you know, he's always been brought up to do the right thing as far as making sure you take care of the people around you and that requires, you know, time commitments. And he just constantly uses that as, a, as excuse not to get out. I think that that's, that's what happens. And you, I think you just need to do it. You know, you need to uh, break the chain of, of whatever your time commitment is. And, and um, because that will burn you out and get you down. And I think really emotionally uh, damage you just, you know, in addition to all, everything else in life. Um, and if you just take the time to go out and see it and disconnect yourself from all these other obligations, um, you know, even for a weekend or, or a day, I think it does um, some uh, really great um, things for your psyche. Um, and in addition to like, you know, letting yourself um, get in touch with, uh, with uh, the outdoors. Well, you're so right about that. We're talking today with Tom Huang, a Chinese-American filmmaker who is uh, behind the new film Find Me, a movie about uh, finding restoration and rejuvenation in the national parks uh, in today's hectic world. Uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. Listener and reader support make National Parks Traveler possible every day of the year. If you enjoy Traveler's content, please consider a donation via nationalparkstraveler.org. Washington State is graced with three spectacular national parks, each different and special in their own unique ways. As the official nonprofit partner and the only philanthropic organization dedicated exclusively to supporting these parks through charitable contributions, Washington's National Park Fund has a mission to deepen the public's love for, understanding of, and experiences in Mount Rainier, North Cascades, and Olympic National Parks. Share your passion for these parks at WNPF.org. Dry Tortugas National Park, 70 miles from Key West, just very well might be the most remote national park in the lower 48. But when you arrive, you're surrounded by crystalline waters for snorkeling, kayaking, and relaxing on pristine beaches. There are sunken wrecks to explore, coral reefs swarming with colorful marine life, and history in the brick walls of a Civil War era fort. The Yankee Freedom 3, departing from Key West, can get you there in a little more than two hours. Visit them at drytortugas.com. 
Okay, we're back with Tom Huang, a Chinese-American filmmaker um, behind the vehicle Find Me, a new film about an emotionally damaged accountant who comes out of his shell to search for a co-worker friend who has left clues on her whereabouts in national parks across the West. Tom, um, the, the film, without trying to give away too much, um, deals with loss and pain and redemption. It's an interesting package against the backdrop of the national parks. Yeah, um, it. you know, uh, I first decided to make the film when um, I was kind of in between movies and, and, and really wanted to make something. And I was actually hiking in the Narrows at the Zara National Park which if people don't know is, is just amazing trail where you basically hike in a river that cuts through this amazing slot, uh, gigantic slot canyon um, in, in Zion. And I'm looking up at these towering uh, canyon walls and I just thought, you know what? I want to make a film where people see this on the screen, point to it and say, I want to go there. And uh, I think the reason... Uh, and so I just started write, started writing the script when I got home, and I just thought to myself, like, why, you know, why do I want people to to say that and actually experience this? And I think that uh, part of it is is definitely like whenever I go to these places and I'm able to see these things in person, it just really puts the world in perspective and 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 helps me um, feel like you know the world is a really a bigger place, and that these problems that happen in life. You know, if you put them in perspective, um, you could overcome them and and not feel like it's it's gonna uh, it has to like completely take over your life. And I after since then after I made the film, just about everyone who um, has seen the film has mentioned something about that. How like they go to the outdoors to uh, heal and um, and to kind of like reconnect to, to with what they want to do in life and, and and reconnect with themselves. And I think that you know the uh, these hikes that I chose. Uh, are ones where, you know, oftentimes you could find yourself just alone and able to, you know, put some perspective on life and think about life um, while being in this big, beautiful place. And um, I think it really helps put your life in perspective. And so, yeah, I really feel like that that's something that can help someone who, um, you know, is going through a bit um, of, of, of stress or uh, emotional turmoil. Do you think that here, here in the 21st century that um, we're... <sighs> we're getting too far away from nature and, and just the, the rawness of the natural world. And we're getting too caught up in technology and smartphones and uh, uh, Snapchat and all that stuff. Yeah. You know, I have a a 14 year old and 11 year old and um, you know, as much as we take them outdoors, I definitely see that. Um, And I think that, you know, it's kind of a natural um, progression of the way technology is going that it's, easier to disconnect from uh the real world um it's getting constantly easier to do it and when it gets easier then people will tend to want to do that um and um i definitely think it's an issue that you know people now even like the small thing with like you know streaming things like netflix and everything like that which is a great technology but you know it just makes it easy just to sit in your house and (laughs) watch 10 episodes of some show in a row and just like, you know, all of a sudden it's like 3 a.m. and you're, you're going to bed and getting up and going to work or do whatever you do every day again. And you come back and, you know, it's just easy to watch four or five more shows. Um, and this is just like social media and staying disconnected. So, yeah, I think that it, it's, um, it's, it's, it's definitely an issue. And I think that if you just get people to take that first step um, to go out and, and see a national park, just once, you know, and break out of that cycle they're in. I think that 
that shows people like, wow, this is what I'm missing. I forgot what I'm missing out here. Um, and it'll, it helps people like, you know, make sure that they, they keep getting out there again. Um, I think that it's, it just that when it, it becomes a prolonged time when people get into their little cycle of habits and that, that um, social media and, and technology kind of exasperates that, you know, you, it makes it tougher, tougher to, to break out of, uh, break out of the shell. It does. It does. Now you said you're based in Los Angeles. Um, is there a particular park you like to uh, head to uh, specifically to uh, find that rejuvenation? Um, you know, LA actually has, uh, LA is really a sprawling, spread out city. Um, you know, it's not like New York or something where everything's in one central area. Um, so there's actually quite a few, LA is great because, you know, you have the beach nearby and then you get also drive to the mountains. And in between, there's a lot of just um, nice little hiking areas. But I think for me, uh, locally, um, I just love getting out to the Malibu Beach area, um, getting out to some of the state parks up there um, where it's kind of uh, less crowded with people, uh, beachgoers and stuff. But you're in these, uh, one of my favorite is El Matador uh, State Park, uh, which you basically have to step down into this long, a pathway uh, to get down to the beach and you're just in this area of just sea caves and beach area and it's just it's just a great place just to hang out and um, see some tide pools and sit in a sea cave and just watch the ocean and kind of like you know rejuvenate um, so that's probably my go-to place locally um, and then you know um, we're only about a four-hour drive uh, to Yosemite and also um, Death Valley so that's also a favorite place if I want to go around a weekend I need to get out those are probably my go-to places. Yeah, nice. Uh, okay, Tom, the, the film came out on May 31st. Where can folks see it? Uh, you can see it on Amazon.com, actually. Um, you can download it and rent it right now. And uh, eventually it's going to be on uh, Google Play and uh, iTunes and all those other platforms. And then further on down the line, it'll be on um, Amazon Prime. But uh, right now you can definitely uh, download or, uh, or rent it uh, video on demand on Amazon. And, uh yeah, I'd love to have uh, you take a look at it if this sounds interesting to you. All right. Well, we've been talking today with Tom Huang, a Chinese-American filmmaker who found great inspiration in the national parks and wants to share that inspiration um, with audiences across the country. Uh, the vehicle he uses is Find Me, a new film about finding rejuvenation in the national park system. Tom, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, thanks so much for having me. RV Share provides not only an option for renters to enjoy the perks of RV travel without having to buy one, but an opportunity for owners to earn income by renting theirs out. You'll find everything from large and luxurious Class A RVs all the way to small and easy-to-tow pop-up campers. You can even use their filters to find an RV that is dog-friendly or one that will be delivered right to your campground. Visit RVShare.com to start your search for the perfect RV rental or to list your RV. Acadia National Park is one of the 10 most popular national parks in the United States. It is also one of the smallest and most vulnerable. That's why Friends of Acadia exists. Friends of Acadia is an independent organization of passionate people inspiring those who love this magnificent park to make a real and lasting difference for Acadia. You can make a difference at friendsofacadia.org.
The Grand Teton National Park Foundation is a private, non-profit organization that supports projects that protect and enhance Grand Teton National Park's cultural, historic, and natural resources. By funding initiatives that go beyond what the National Park Service could accomplish on its own, foundation donors improve the visitor experience and provide benefits to the National Park System for decades to come. See their successes at www.gtnpf.org. Drownings, heat stroke, even great white sharks. Like it or not, these are all threats when we enter the national parks during the summertime. With a little common sense, however, and awareness of your surroundings, you can ensure your park vacation will be a great one. Every summer, there are tragic outcomes for park visitors who possibly didn't respect their surroundings or anticipate conditions as much as they should have. There are drownings on rivers and lakes in the national park system, hikers who get lost, even visitors who fall into such places as the Kilauea Crater at Hawaii Volcanoes National Park. There also are falls from the south rim of Grand Canyon National Park, swimmers who get caught in riptides at the national seashores and drowned, and occasional run-ins with bears. Some years ago, there was even a somewhat rare case of a hiker at Grand Canyon National Park who was suffering from extremely low blood sodium levels, a potentially fatal condition stemming from drinking large amounts of water, perspiring heavily, and failing to eat enough foods to maintain blood salt levels. The hiker reportedly drank large amounts of water, but had eaten very little food. This, coupled with the expected increased perspiration while hiking in hot temperatures, led rangers to believe this visitor was suffering from a potentially life-threatening condition due to low blood sodium levels known as hyponatremia. Sadly, in the weeks and months ahead, there will be additional cases of park visitors being harmed and even killed by events that could be avoided with a little preparation and common sense. If you are heading out into the parks, lakeshores, and seashores this summer, take a little time to recognize possible dangerous situations. If you're swimming at a national seashore, Pay attention for possible rip currents, as well as waves that might be larger than usual due to storm systems. Check with lifeguards and or park visitor center staff for the latest ocean conditions. Even the national lakeshores on the Great Lakes can generate rip currents, so be careful there as well. Cape Cod National Seashore in recent years has seen an increase in the numbers of great white sharks patrolling the ocean waters in search of gray seals. Check with the park staff and lifeguards for the latest conditions to be sure you're safe. If you want to cool off in rivers and creeks of a national park, such as Yosemite, Great Smoky Mountains, Shenandoah, or Glacier, be aware that swift currents can quite easily knock you off your feet and send you downstream into hazardous conditions or over waterfalls. While climbing relatively small waterfalls in parks such as Great Smoky or Shenandoah might seem the perfect way to cool off, the rocks can be slippery, causing you to fall and possibly injure yourself or worse. And if you're hiking in one of the Appalachian National Parks, keep an eye on the trail in front of you. These parks are home to snakes, such as the poisonous northern copperhead, and even some timber rattlesnakes. And the last thing you want to do is step on one as you're hiking on the trail. If you find yourself hiking in one of the Southwest National Parks, such as Canyonlands or Grand Canyon, be sure to carry enough water to get you through the day, as well as salty snacks to both keep up your energy and maintain blood salt levels. Also, be sure to dress appropriately with a wide-brimmed hat, quick-drying and light-colored clothing that will reflect instead of absorb the sun's heat, and wear sunglasses and sunscreen to protect your skin. When heading off on a backcountry hike, it's a good idea to check with rangers on trail conditions. 
Were there any recent storms that might have washed out bridges or raised water levels that might make stream crossings dangerous? In parks such as Glacier and Yellowstone, has there been any recent bear activity in areas where you're heading? Speaking of bears, do you have bear spray? And when boating, be sure you and everyone with you is wearing a U.S. Coast Guard-approved life jacket. These lifesavers do you little good if they're floating away from you as you flail about in the water. If you're planning a day-long hike or a longer multi-day excursion into a national park, leave details of your itinerary with friends and family and let them know when you plan to return. And while boulder and cliff scrambling can be fun, if you're not as skilled as you think you are, you could find yourself stuck. Going up is always easier than coming back down. Head out prepared. If you plan on hiking most or all of the day, take a little extra food, plenty of water, rain gear, matches, good maps, and a first aid kit. All these precautions might sound obvious, but it's been demonstrated that when visitors head to national parks for their vacation, they sometimes relax a bit too much and overlook the obvious. The Blue Ridge Parkway Foundation is the primary nonprofit fundraising partner for the Blue Ridge Parkway. It is made up of people who have a deep love for this majestic road and want to ensure that its natural beauty and the experiences it offers endure for generations to come. Show your appreciation at brpfoundation.org. The North Cascades Institute has a large portfolio. It is an environmental learning center, training center, conference center, and leadership center, all set in the splendor of the North Cascades National Park Complex. Learn more at ncascades.org. The Yosemite Conservancy inspires people to support projects and programs that preserve Yosemite National Park and enrich the visitor experience. The Conservancy funds transformative work throughout the park, the grant's donors support help protect diverse wildlife and plant species and restore the precious habitats they depend on. Grants also support improvements to miles of trails to ensure visitors can safely access Yosemite's wonders. Visit yosemiteconservancy.org to find more inspiration. At National Parks Traveler, we're fortunate to get out to the national parks fairly regularly, and we naturally have visited quite a few gateway towns on those travels. In an occasional series, we'll provide you with an overview of some of these towns. So sit back and relax as we kick off this series with a look at Estes Park, Colorado. Your ascent to Estes Park, the front door to Rocky Mountain National Park, is anything but smooth. Climbing up through Big Thompson Canyon from Loveland, Colorado, you twist, turn, rise, and fall with the road as it crawls through the canyon. And as you drive, you marvel at the cyclists pedaling those beastly 34 uphill miles. But when you clear the head of the canyon, those miles are immediately forgotten as you gaze out upon what appears to be a far-off realm. A valley cut by mountains flocked in pines and capped by snow-kissed crags. On the distant horizon jut the peaks of Rocky Mountain National Park, but it's the bucolic valley filled by the town of Estes Park that catches your attention. Lake Estes spreads out across a good portion of that valley, holding back the combined flow from the Big Thompson River and the Fall River while slowly funneling the water on down the canyon. A horseback riding concession, complete with steeds saddled and waiting early each morning, 
A mall with grocery, hardware, and a collection of other stores stands across from the lake. You quickly leave that behind once you reach the intersection formed by Big Thompson Avenue, St. Vrain Avenue, and Wonderview Avenue, and are forced with deciding which direction you want to take into the park. Turn right onto Wonderview, and you'll pass the stately Snow White Stanley Hotel and follow the Fall River past clutches of guest cabins, bed and breakfasts, and small lodges. Go straight, and Big Thompson Avenue transforms into Moraine Avenue that leads you through the park's Beaver Meadows entrance. Turn left onto St. Vrain, and if you veer quickly right onto Route 7, you'll head down the shoulder of the National Park to the Long's Peak and Wild Basin Trailheads. And, depending on the time of year that you arrive, you just might be greeted by elk crossing some of the streets or catch the bugling of bulls in the air. The bulls are not heralding your arrival, but rather calling together their harems for the fall rut. Now, since there is no formal lodging inside Rocky Mountain National Park, unless you plan to spend your nights in the tent, Estes Park very likely will be your base camp from which you'll launch daily excursions into the park. And the town, named after a Missouri-born rancher who settled here in 1859, is well suited for the task. The recreational pursuits to be had in the surrounding mountains were noticed soon after the Civil War, with the first dude ranch taking hold near the end of the 1860s and offering guests guided hunting, fishing, and even climbing excursions into the mountains that later would become Rocky Mountain National Park. That bent towards hospitality is stronger than ever today and readily visible in the many welcome signs that sprout along the roads that wind through this valley the Arapahoe knew as The Circle. Head up Wonderview Avenue, which turns into the Fall River Road, and after passing all those rustic-looking but comfortably outfitted cabins and rooms for rent, you'll have the option of taking either the historic Fall River Road to the roof of the park in the Alpine Visitor Center, or the main route that runs two miles, passing Horseshoe Park along the way, to the Trail Ridge Road. Follow Moraine Avenue, and you encounter a slightly different side of Estes Park, one of recreational vehicle parks, amusements, and eateries before entering the Beaver Meadows entrance that leads to park headquarters and to the highly popular Bear Lake area of the park. If you turn left onto St. Vrain Avenue and then onto Route 7, you'll find some slightly less visited areas of the park. Granted, during the summer and into the fall, the turnoff to Long's Peak can get crowded with day hikers and climbers tackling the tallest peak in Rocky Mountain National Park, but if you head farther south, you'll come to the Wild Basin which opens up a whole nother network of backcountry trails into the park. Estes Park puts all this within easy reach, and the town also offers a wide range of accommodations to fit just about any budget. There are chain motels, charming bed and breakfasts, and relatively simple log cabins, all the way up to deluxe cabins and even dude ranches that you can call home during your vacation. Now, the thing I like about Estes Park is that it really feels like it's part of Rocky Mountain National Park. No, not the Safeway grocery store and its accompanying strip mall, but the sheer layout of the town, set amid thickly forested mountains, streams running downhill, and wildlife strolling through at any time of day. From a small city park along Elkhorn Avenue, your gaze can't help but wander into the park, as Long's Peak is clearly visible on the horizon. Heck, you can even see it from the Safeway parking lot. Now, once upon a time, many decades ago, the National Park's headquarters were right downtown along the creek. Today, with headquarters having relocated just inside the Beaver Meadows entrance, that downtown location has been turned into a wonderful pedestrian mall 
complete with flagstone river walk along the rippling Fall River, patio settings on which to enjoy your meals on warm summer evenings, and even a shop where you can sip some of Colorado's wonderful wines. While there are many sides to Estes Park, the one found along Elkhorn Avenue seems most friendly to pedestrians. Perhaps that's because of the River Walk, a beautiful expanse of pathways, shops, restaurants, leafy vegetation, and cooling and appealing water. Here you'll find that postcard to send to your friends, the t-shirts for your kids, and the artworks or jewelry for yourself. You can sate your appetite with an Italian menu at Mama Rosa's, where they make their own pasta daily, or venture for a flavor from the other side of the world via Nepal's Cafe, a storefront Nepalese restaurant where you eat at one of eight or so tables surrounded by photos of Mount Everest and prayer flags. Around town, you can busy yourself for a day or more. The McGregor Ranch Museum guides you through the ranching history of the area. There are fire engine tours at the Stanley Hotel to delight youngsters. And if you head a bit south of town, there is the world's largest key collection, said to contain more than 20,000 keys, at the Baldpate Inn, which will give you your own room key to spend a night or two. And when you're done shopping or eating, on your way back to your vehicle or walk back to your room or cabin, the park is beaming down upon you. From downtown, the park's Beaver Meadows and Fall River entrance roads are 10 minutes distant. Flip a coin to decide which to enter, as neither disappoints. Through the Fall River entrance, Horseshoe Park is another five minutes and welcomes you with a large parking area from which you can watch elk cavorting in the meadow or train your binoculars across the mountainside in search of bighorn sheep. Anglers anxious to fish the Fall River often head into the exclosures, fenced-in areas set up to see how the vegetation would fare without heavy browsing by elk. Picnickers and hikers head to the far end of Horseshoe Park and disappear into Endo Valley, where there's a nice day area with picnic tables and fire grates along the river and trails that take you into the high country. Anxious to reach the really, really high country, but not by foot? Continue up the road past Endo Valley and turn left onto Trail Ridge Road, which slowly but steadily pulls you up to 12,000 feet above sea level, high above the tree line with panoramic views and more hiking options to choose from. Take the Beaver Meadows entrance and, if you're like most traffic entering here, you'll soon turn left onto the Bear Lake Road that leads you past expansive Moraine Park and to one of the park's largest and most scenic front country lakes. No matter how you leave Estes Park for Rocky Mountain National Park, the trip will be quick and reward you with gorgeous landscapes, tumbling waters, and plenty of wildlife to fill your camera. And, at day's end, Estes Park will be waiting for you. That's our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. For National Parks Traveler, this is Kurt Repencheck. See you in the parks. The composers and musicians at Orange Tree Productions have created a unique collection known as the National Park Series that has grown to include more than 30 CD titles. Composed against the backdrop of a park's sounds of nature, these musical scores will connect you with these beautiful places and take you there, at least in your mind. This collection is the number one selling National Park Audio Series in the world and provides the background music for National Parks Travelers podcast. Visit them at orangetreeproductions.com. National Parks Traveler is a 501c3 nonprofit media organization that provides daily editorial coverage of national parks and protected areas. 
Travelers coverage is made possible by reader and listener donations. Visit us at nationalparkstraveler.org.